0: Back in, uh, I believe it was 1983, uh, there was a uh, remarkable discovery of 60 leather-bound volumes of diaries that were discovered in Germany, had a the author's seal, they were very well taken care of, and they were found. And they purportedly were diaries, 60 volumes of diaries of Adolf Hitler. Massive discovery. Uh, The German newspaper Stern uh, paid something like $5 million for the rights. Rupert Murdoch owns Fox News, owned newspapers in England, Australia, whatever. He paid over a million. This this is 80s money, so probably been a lot more today. But he paid uh, over a million dollars just for the rights to reprint them in his newspapers, okay? And it was just a big deal. I mean, this was the most notorious, hated villain of our, you know, century or whatever, and to find these diaries, you know, of whatever he wrote in there, and, uh, you know, I think I'll kill eight million people today, you know, whatever. I don't know what he wrote in there, and uh, it was just a big deal. Historically, just uh, there was only one problem. It was a hoax. They were phony. They weren't real. Fooled historians and People that examined them and said, oh, these are authentic, and, I mean, imagine, I mean, somebody like Rupert Murdoch, all these people coughing up millions of dollars to reprint them, and it turned out it was this elaborate scam of this guy that was a collector, and he concocted, and, I mean, it fooled everybody practically. Till they begin to do forensic studies, you know, and some of those where they begin to study the paper and the ink and look at things, they realize that this couldn't have been from paper that was at that date. And they, I mean, they have you know all that sort of stuff. And it was just a big hoax. This morning, we're going to look in Mark fourteen and look at probably the mo- one of the most notorious uh, phonies and frauds uh, in the Bible, and that is who Judas. I mean, he is embedded in scriptural history for all eternity as the one who not only betrayed Jesus, sold him out, uh, but he uh, is someone that we want to look at this morning. Now, the reason I did that, because I knew it would really cheer you up to have a message on Judas. I wanted you to leave here really inspired and motivated and, wow, I love that church. Or uh, Talking about Judas, so... Uh, no, it was because last week we talked about Peter, the Apostle Peter. And I thought, you know, find out Peter betrayed Jesus, but different things and different reasons uh, of how he was restored. But Judas, we find a different uh, endgame here of what happened with Judas. And so we're going to look in Mark chapter 14. You have your Bibles, and beginning at verse 10 through 11. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity. Judas sought an opportunity to betray him. Skip down to verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, Judas. And as they were reclining at the table eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? Now let me just stop there. Isn't that interesting? What does that tell you about perhaps what was potentially going on in their heart that they began to question themselves if they if they were the ones. Interesting. Verse 20. Jesus said to them, "It is one of the 12 One who is dipping bread into the dish with me. I assume all of them were dipping into the dish the way the tradition was. They ate, they reclined, were eating. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him, quoting again prophetically this was foretold. but In other words, Jesus is going to the cross as it was foretold, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Go down to verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve. Notice how many times Mark, really Peter, these are Peter's words dictated to Mark, that he identifies him as one of the twelve, one of the twelve, one of the twelve. He was the part of that inner circle That Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him, with Judas, a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Verse 44. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. That is what Peter calls Judas. He's the betrayer. Had given those uh, guards and chief priests, uh, the leaders, had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, teacher. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. little side note here. I find it interesting because in our Western world, we have these pictures and paintings of Jesus, and a lot of them look like, you know, he's a surfer from California, right? White, you know, blonde hair, all that. But uh, I suspect Jesus looked pretty much like the folks that he was... So Judas went and kissed him. Now, just, you don't have to turn to there, but I'm going to read you from Matthew that rounds it out. Matthew 27, 3 through 5. Just listen. And when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it for yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple... Judas departed, and Judas went and hanged himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, Lord, this is a, a difficult account to see this betrayal so vividly illustrated in Scripture. But yet, Lord, I pray that even in Judas, God, your Spirit will teach us your word here by one who was close in proximity to Jesus but yet far, far away. Lord, help us today as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Judas Iscariot in his attitudes and actions illustrate as is a classic example of a false disciple. He was a false disciple. It didn't seem that way in the beginning. It didn't look that way in the beginning. I mean, think about it. He was personally chosen by Jesus Christ. Jesus said at one point, "'I've chosen all of you, and one of you is a devil.'" Okay? He forsook all to follow the Lord from appearance. He went the three and a half years in traveling with Christ. He saw all the miracles of Christ in person. He was there when Lazarus was raised from the dead, when people were healed of blindness. He was, he was there, we assume, with the others. He heard all the teaching. He, when Jesus gave the Sermon on the mountain, Sermon on the Mount, he was there. He heard the teaching of Jesus. He was engaged with all those. He watched Christ heal the sick, cast out demons. He, along with the other apostles or disciples, was commissioned to go and preach the gospel. Remember when Jesus sent him on a field trip? He sent him two by two. For a little bit, and they came back all all jazzed up. That's the message version. All jazzed up, and they came back, and were excited that the demons, you know, and all this. And uh, he was part of that. He was part of that excursion, that that field trip that Jesus sent him on early in the ministry. No one suspected him of treason. We say, well, how do you know that? Well, guess what? What among the twelve was Judas's job? Now, I assume he was given that job by the other 11, right? So, methinks, he probably appeared to be trustworthy, reliable, right? Or they wouldn't have assigned him uh, that role, that job. He was... uh, Later, when John wrote his, his account or his gospel, or not his gospel, the gospel account in John, John later, this was something John said, but it was after the fact when he talked about Judas in John 12, 4 through 6. Just listen, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, and John puts in parentheses, he was about to betray him. Remember when he questioned about why this anointment? uh, Remember the woman who broke the jar at the feet of Jesus? And what was Judas? He sounded all pious and said, what a waste of money. This could have been used to feed the poor. And then John says this. John said, Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. That was after the fact. I'm sure they didn't know that at the time. Sometimes we wonder, well, why did Judas do this? I mean, what was going on in his heart that he would betray Christ? I mean, it was, his remorse was so great. What did he do after he tried to kind of take things back? The Bible says, we read it in Matthew, he left the chief priest and he went out and he hanged himself. Tremendous remorse, but what motivated him to do this? A lot of people speculate maybe it was money, greed, money, maybe. But he only got 30 pieces of silver. And in that economy, that, was, that wasn't a lot of money. That wasn't a lot of money. In fact, it was the price that the law gave when a, somebody's slave, they had slaves back then, uh, was gored by uh, an ox, Anybody have that in your insurance policy? (laughs) Ox gording. Is that covered at State Farm? I don't think so. Uh, (laughs) 30 pieces of silver. So he sold them out for basically the price of a slave injured. So it wasn't a lot of money. I'm not sure that was the case. I think uh, perhaps this might hold the most weight is that he was disillusioned. All the disciples all along misunderstood what Jesus was up to in many cases. Because in their mindset, the Messiah, the Jewish framework of a Messiah was not to lay his life down and be killed. It was really to be seen as kind of a revolutionary political type figure that was going to come and lead a revolution against Rome. That was not what Jesus was talking about. How do you know that? Well, remember when he was talking about how the Son of Man must go and lay his life down? Peter pulled him aside. Remember that? And Jesus rebuked him, calling him the devil, get behind me, because you're not mindful of the things of God. You know, this may have went and plain, because think about it, in the beginning, in the beginning when Judas and... I mean, they had crowds... They had popularity. I mean, people, I mean, they were, I mean, they were just packing the place out everywhere they went. Everybody was excited and wonderful. Three and a half years later, eh, now they're clearly stirring up trouble because the word on the street is they're coming after that guy, and guess who's next? Jesus says, don't think because they persecuted me they're not going to come after you. So Judas may have just in that disillusionment, uh, maybe not only was he disillusioned, but maybe he was also disillusioned, and now he's just out to save his own skin. So we don't really know because we do not have the opportunity to interview him because he committed suicide. Whatever we surmise is this fact is that Judas chose to do this. The record is clear, Judas intentionally betrayed Christ. He thought up the plan. He approached the chief priests with the idea. I mean, they were ecstatic to have an inside guy come to them. He made the deal. He took the money. He left the Last Supper to meet the soldiers. He led the soldiers to Jesus. And then he identified him by kissing Jesus on the cheek. He meant to betray Jesus. He was intentional about his actions. Some wonder, well, he was a disciple, but Judas, we know he's dead. He committed suicide, so where is he today? Is he in heaven or is he in hell? Well, Peter tells us in Acts one twenty five that Judas is in hell. The Bible says, according to the words of Peter, that Judas has gone to the place he belongs. And that's understood that he is... In hell, you think that's harsh? Jesus, as I quoted earlier, said, "Have I not chosen you the twelve, and one of you is a devil?" Now that didn't mean that Judas was a demon or a devil. It just meant that even a year and a half, when Jesus said that in John six, that was about a year and a half before the crucifixion. And even back there, Jesus said, "One of you is a devil." That means even back there, Judas was allowing himself to become influenced and motivated. By satanic thoughts and ideas, and yet Jesus knew all about this that was going on. Some think, wonder if Judas is in hell because he committed suicide. Well, suicide is not the unpardonable sin. Suicide is a sin. Self-murder is a sin, but it is not the unpardonable sin. Judas went to hell because he never committed his life to Christ. He was never a follower of Christ. He, was never, he never gave his heart to Christ. He was a false disciple. His betrayal proved what he was. His suicide merely sealed his fate. I think of the words of Jesus in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many... Talking about the final day of judgment. Many on that day, Jesus looking ahead. What's interesting is he said this in Matthew 7. Guess who was in the crowd listening to this? Yeah, you got it. On that day, many will say to me. I just wonder if when he said that, his eyes caught Judas's eyes. Many will say to me, Judas, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name. And the Jesus said, I will declare to them on that day, I never knew you. And that didn't mean he wasn't conscious of their existence, but I never knew you in the sense we were never related. We had no relationship. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. All right, now that I've cheered you up, let's stand and worship the Lord and have a good no no. <laughs> it's a sobering thing, and it's a tragedy. It's a horrible thing. And you think, what can we, how do we digest this? What, how do we process this? Let me suggest to you seven, seven thoughts here to try to, because this is the Word of God. This is Scripture. And uh, sometimes, even the more difficult things in Scripture, it's there because the Holy Spirit puts it there for us to hear, to listen, to learn, to process. And so this morning, let's look at seven things, and they're not going to be long, but they're just observations for us to consider, and they'll be on the screen. What lessons do we take away from Judas? Number one is this simple truth, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. You ever work two or three different jobs at the same time? and one tried to keep you longer, and you were running late to the other, and sometimes there was always a bit of conflict, and, you know, and just you can't... It's hard to make two or three employers happy at the same time. So Jesus gave this principle in John chapter 6 that you cannot serve two masters. Was he talking about employee etiquette? No. He was saying you cannot have one foot in the world, what we call the world. I mean, we're all in the world, but in the sense that your affections and hearts or outside of the kingdom, and try to have a foot in the kingdom. You can't be loyal to both. Because what's going to happen, Jesus said? You're either going to love one or what, and hate the other. There's not a place for a divided heart. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. Jesus said in Luke nine sixty two, no one who puts their hand to the plow looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The looking back. You remember, um, just an illustration here, remember Lot's wife outside of Sodom, and the, the angel said, did not look back at the destruction that God was bringing upon Sodom. And the Bible says that she turned and looked back and the Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt. Why salt? I don't, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a reason, obviously, but I don't know. Don't have any real deep theology for you on that. But when she looked back, was it just, what does that imply? Was it just a curiosity? I want to see how this thing is. I want to, it implies that her affections were still back in Sodom. That's what Jesus is driving at. If you put your hand to the plow, speaking of someone who is working, laboring in the vineyard of the king, and you're always looking back over your shoulder, longing for what you have given up, you are not fit for the kingdom of God. You cannot serve two masters. Secondly, your heart is ultimately shaped by where you lay your treasures. Uh, Show me where your treasure is, and I will show you where your heart is, meaning you show me what you spend your money, attention, resources, energy on, and I'll show you where your affections are, what really is important to you. What do you value? John Calvin said that the heart is a idol factory, I-D-O-L factory. You see, we think of idolatry as, you know, something that, you know, stones and carved images. No, idols are those things that we have affection towards that may in the, on the outside be be a very good thing. It's good to have a job. It's good to have a car. It's good to have all these things. But if we begin to put our loyalty and our affections where that begins to drive us, even to the expense of who God is, and that we don't have a warmness and a tenderness towards the things of God, then something is disconnected. And if all this, you see, if you want to know what's really important to you, it's this. Uh, And I do mean this in no way to imply that people who fish are less spiritual. So just let me take that off the table, Mr. Bob, all right? So this is just an illustration. I can use hunting, but that would affect you too. So I, I don't know what else I could do there. I'll Think of something, but let's just pick on the fishermen, all right? And I know there's several of you out there. I mean, what I know of several of you that you love it, you love it, you love it. And I, and you worked till midnight. You don't. You'll get up and be out there at four thirty, or sitting. If you're hunting, you'll be sitting in one of those little what do you call them? You can see I don't hunt. Little boxes in a tree, little treehouse. I don't know what you call them with a rifle for hours. Waiting to blow Bambi away with your rifle, you know. I mean, you love it. You don't care how long you work the day before, or whatever, and you just love it. And it's okay. It's just because that's what you enjoy. But then it seems like then the other things you don't enjoy, or the other things you just, you know, it's just. Uh, so we tend to do what we like, don't we? We tend to do what we love. Now, I know I'll be accused of being a legalist, and there's reason for that, but look around you, the empty chairs. All right, let's take out those who are sick, can't physically be here, but just showing up once or twice a month. Now, you all hate me, see? See? But I'm telling you the truth, and I'm not saying church attendance is the means. I'm just making an example of saying we do where our affections drive us, even if it means that this over here is really good, but yet my stronger affections is to honor God in my time, my personal time, my prayer, my reading of Scripture, my, my doing uh, acts of love and service for my fellow brothers and sisters, my being together and celebrating in the community of believers of a church... That's important to me, and that means it's so important I'm going to give up the things that are important too, because this is more of a priority, the way that I'm honoring God with my time, talent, treasures, all those things, all involved. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth Nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that is where your heart is also. Number three. Do I have number three? Good. Thank you. (laughs) Sitting under good Bible teaching is not enough. You have to believe it. Now, did Judas sit under some really spectacular teaching of Scripture? Huh? I mean, my goodness. Um... Just sitting under Bible teaching can can give the impression. And see, this is the flip side of being faithful and attending. If you're just faithful and attending, because, well, that's what we did ever since I was three, go to church on Sunday. But your heart and affections aren't aroused by spiritual truths and God. You're just here doing your time, and then, boom, I did my religious thing, I'm gone. You have to believe it. See, there's a difference between a hobby for the head and a habit of the heart. Big difference. You don't need to turn to this, but if you don't, you're not going to be blessed. No, that's okay. Just listen to it. But let me let, no, no, don't, because by the time you find Ezekiel, we'll be having the altar call, all right? So let me just read it to you, all right? Let me just read it to you. Make a little note, okay, of this. But to me, this is such a vivid illustration of, of, this, of what I'm saying here. Now, this is Ezekiel, all right? Old Testament prophet Israel is in exile. I mean, Jerusalem has been plundered, destroyed, and God has brought that about because of judgment, right? And the Lord tells this to Ezekiel, about the people who have an appearance of faithfulness, but this is what God clues the prophet Ezekiel in on the real intent and mindset of these people and why God is judging Israel even as they are in Babylon. Listen to what he says. This is the Lord speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. As for you, son of man, and prior to all that, God is just talking about, the destruction and the judgment that he has brought about them and he said and as for you son of man your people your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses say to one another each to their brother quote come and hear what the word is that comes from the lord in other words you got a fan club ezekiel they're excited about your Your prophetic preaching. They say, come and let us hear the word that comes from the Lord. Verse 31, and they come to you, listen to the description, and they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Listen to this, for with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their heart is set for gain. And behold, listen to this, very convicting. And behold, Ezekiel, you are to them like one who sings beautiful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Do you hear the description of what God is saying among these so-called chosen people. He says, Ezekiel, oh, you've got a great fan club. But you're nothing more than entertainment to them, just entertainment. They love the hobby of listening to gospel music, gospel preaching. Go to conferences. Oh, you ought to hear this teacher on the end times. I could sit for hours. He's got charts, and we've got to use decoder rings to figure out what he's saying. And I mean, he can nail down that. Oh, it's just wonderful. And their lives are a mess. Their families are a mess. Their spiritual life is a mess. They love to be entertained by spiritual things, but they will not follow what God says. Judah sat under the best teaching, but he didn't obey it. He didn't believe it. Fourthly, being in community with Jesus' people is not enough. You've got to be one of them. Judas, he was in the inner circle, basically, right? Among the twelve. He was in the atmosphere, the right environment. But somehow his heart and affections were never changed. I'm encouraged and glad that every one of you are here. I hope that as you come to Grace Church, you will find ways to continually get connected to God's people. We have three values that we begin to talk about of the celebration. That's our gathering time here on Sundays. We encourage you to connect with one another. To commit your gifts and can be committed to the Great Commission are those three values. But before you connect to God's people, friends, you've got to be connected to God. This isn't just another nicer social circle. This is the community of believers that are, that are connected to God and are growing in that connection with God. And frankly, and this may sound heretical, if you are not interested in connecting with God, then you probably are going to become, over time, very uncomfortable around other people who do desire to grow in godliness and righteousness. Are we there? No. But we're moving in that direction. You've got to be connected with God. I've always troubled by this scripture and I just you may want to make a note of it in 1 John 2:18 through 19. Remember what it says just being in the the being around Jesus people that's not enough. You've got to be a Jesus person. There's something that John the Apostle says in 1 John, listen to this. He says, "Dear children, the last hour is here." You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, not the Antichrist, but an Antichrist spirit is coming, and already there are such Antichrists have appeared. Well, that throws everybody's curve off if you're thinking that so and so today is the Antichrist, because there was a lot, he says, many Antichrists that were appearing. Antichrists. From this we know that the last hour has come. That's John saying that way back then. The, hour, the last hour has come. Now, here's what I want to show you to hear. These people, he says in verse 19 of John 2, who are these people? These with an Antichrist spirit. These people left our churches. You mean these Antichrist people were in the church? That's what John says. These people left our churches, but listen to what he says, but they never really belonged with us. Even in John's day, after the resurrection, There were those who were around the community of believers, but they are AWOL and evidence that they never really were part of the community of believers. Otherwise, he says, otherwise they would have stayed with us. When they left, John says, it proved that they really didn't belong to us. Fifthly, sometimes false teachers appear to be credible. I guess if Judas was being interviewed for maybe a a pastoral opening at uh, Grace Church, you know, we'd interview him and talk to him and ask him, did you go to seminary? Yes. What's the name of your seminary? Jesus Christ Seminary. Wow. Um, Who was your professor? Well, let's see. For Old Testament, I had Jesus Christ. For prophecy, I had Jesus Christ. For preaching, Jesus Christ. For leadership, let me guess. Jesus Christ, yep. Uh, for evangelism, I had Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. Uh, have you ever worked in ministry? Yeah, you bet I did. I was in an intensive internship for about three and a half years. And Jesus Christ was the leader of that internship, and it was really fantastic. I saw people raised from the dead, demons cast out, people healed. It was an amazing. By the way, have you looked at my resume? Judas would have appeared to be really credible. In fact, somebody even said, um, uh, you know, what, what kind of guy is he? Well, he seems like a loving guy because, you know, I saw him uh, in the garden with Jesus and he went and he kissed him on the cheek. You know, he appears to be a very loving guy. He seems to be very good at, at stewardship because one time this woman was wasting all this perfume at Jesus' feet and, and he kind of injected and said, hey, we need to take care of the poor. And, you know, he seems like he was really good with money management and, and all that. So he just, from the, all the appearance, he seems to be a really credible I'm sure. In fact, I know from reading quite a bit on the history of some of these people. If you remember names like Jim Jones or David Koresh, many of them started off with great credibility. People don't enlist people in their movement by saying, "Hey, we're we're doing a little cult planting." You've heard of church planting. This is cult planting. And uh, we're going to kind of work for about 10 years, and then we're going to commit mass suicide. You want to join up? It has to be something appearing very credible. What does the Bible continually tell us to do? Be discerning. How do you be discerning? You understand and put yourself in Scripture like those Berean believers with Paul. Read that in the book of Acts. It says that when Paul taught at the church of Berea, it says they verified everything he said by the word of the Lord. Just because he was an apostle and he had a big A on his on his uniform, that didn't impress them. They wanted to see does this line up with scripture. Well, guess what? You can't be discerning if you do not know scripture. If you don't ever Put yourself intentionally under in learning the word of the Lord. Number six. Do I not have number six? You know what? They must have not. That crazy program, because I know I did this one. (laughs) The other one, I wasn't sure. Just leave that one up, all right? That one we know. That crazy software, all right, that's okay. That's all right. I only got two quick more, so don't worry. Number six, hear this. It's an important teaching. You cannot lose your salvation, but you can fake it. You see, Judas didn't lose his salvation because he never possessed salvation. People say, well, any example of someone who was a Jesus and backslid? No. He proved who he was by what he did and how he finally evidenced the rottenness and the fraud of his heart. Jesus called him a devil early on. He was, while he was walking and appearing very pious among the twelve, he was stealing from the money bag the whole time. The reason sometimes we all say this is that, boy, that person was really committed to Christ and they... They just seemed to have gone AWOL. They just, man, they just fell away, man. They just, no, they gave evidence externally of what was a reality internally. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus said those who persevere to the end will be saved. Now, he's not saying those who work really hard to that last day, he's going to pull them over the line. He's not saying that what he's saying is is that the one who perseveres are the ones whose love in Matthew 24 remember this let me read it i kind of skipped over it actually is my next point and i'm going to kind of move over there just real quick but don't don't uh, hang on to this Jesus said, many will turn from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You see, Judas's betrayal of Jesus was not a change in his character. It was a revelation of his character. Do you hear what I'm saying? It wasn't a change of heart. His heart was never with Christ. And there are folks, maybe even here today, you know the Christian lingo, you you love Christian stuff, you're around, you love the music, you love all the stuff, but yet your heart has never been tied to the anchor of Christ. Your affections are constantly moving far and away. Judas Couldn't lose what he never possessed. He was a fraud. He was a false disciple. He was a, you know, we talk about being professing. He was a professor, not a possessor. He was a fan, but he was not a follower. And the last, number seven, is how your life concludes is far more important than how it started. We celebrate the beginning of many things. I remember some of this won't uh, mean a lot to many of you. Some of you techie, Melissa Meyer was hired by Yahoo to pull that company out of the mess maybe five or six years ago. She just got fired for about, you know, walk away with multi-millions. Wouldn't you like to get fired and walk away with about 30 million bucks? Wouldn't that be, hey, fire me, drag me through an airplane, whatever. If I get the money, you know. When she was hired by Yahoo, she was the savior on the white horse, going to come in, pull this company out of its mess. Now they're even going further down the tubes, and they've sent her on. They celebrated the beginning, but the end wasn't so great. We celebrate the beginning. Someone comes to saving faith in Christ, and the Bible says if it's truly a saving faith in Christ, the Bible says the angels do what? rejoice that one is in the kingdom of God, right? We should celebrate that. But I'm honest with you when I say I'm not excited or impressed when I hear, oh, we had 50,000 people at a crusade give their lives to Christ. If every single person who walked an aisle, walked the altar at a Billy Graham crusade was a genuine follower of Jesus, let me tell you, this nation would not be what it is today. Being a professor, a professing person, is not a possessing person. And so how your life concludes is far more important than how it starts out. I quoted that scripture in Matthew 24 about Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. This does not in any way suggest that perseverance There's an understanding of the perseverance of the believer. Just, Just hanging on and being the last man standing does not secure your salvation. That's not what it's saying. God, as part of his saving work, he is the one that secures your perseverance. He who saves is able to take you to the end. The grace that saved you is the grace that keeps you. Do you hear what I'm saying? The grace that saved you in the beginning is the grace that keeps you here, 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 and on that final day, that final breath, it is grace that will usher you into the throne of God. But here, but we, Jim mentioned it. We talk about covenant or the new covenant. This to me is really, I, I didn't see this still just studying this. Just make a note, Jeremiah 32, 40. It's in the context of the promise of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 32. All that's about the promise of the new covenant. The guarantee of our perseverance is built into the new covenant promise. In Jeremiah 32, 40, it says, God says, I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that, say so that, So that they will not turn away from me. Do you catch that? In the new covenant promise, God has built in saving grace, perseverance that I will put my law upon their hearts, I will put my fear in them so that they will not turn away from me. What keeps me from falling into the deepest, darkest sin? The grace and mercy of God sustaining me every day. Yes, thank you, Lord. Some of you may say this morning, man, I started out good, but hadn't been so great the last few years. Let me tell you to do like Peter and not Judas. Peter blew it, but he ran to Jesus. Judas blew it. He ran away from Jesus. And it killed him. I want to be like Peter. I want to run to Jesus. Judas had remorse. Peter had repentance. The night before Jesus was crucified, it was a bad night for both Judas and Peter. Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. Both were grievous sins. The difference in the men, hear this, the difference in the men is not the guilt of what they did, or, but the differences in how they responded. They both felt guilty. Feeling guilty isn't necessarily repentance. Judah, Judas felt remorse and wished he hadn't have done it. Peter felt remorse and wished he hadn't done it. But they respond in completely different ways. Judas tried to justify himself by committing suicide. He said, you know, I'm just going to throw myself at the justice of God. My friend, I do not want to throw myself on the justice bar of God and get what I deserve. Because the Bible says that I get what I deserve according to the law and I get eternal death and eternal alienation from God. But I throw myself on the altar of mercy and grace like Peter I am convinced that had Judas run to Jesus for forgiveness, there's no doubt in my mind that we'd be talking about Judas differently today. I believe the Bible teaches that true, committed believers will sin, will blow it, and sometimes very, very grievously sin. But the difference is is that a child of God will never remain contented in that sinful state. The Holy Spirit in you will make you miserable. You'll wake up day after day next to someone you're not married to and it will grieve you and it will grieve you Till you reach a point, you say, I can't do this. I can't do this. It would be better for me to live by myself than to be evidencing and living in a condition that grieves the heart of God, that God has so clearly said is not his purpose and his will. You fill in the blank of whatever it is, okay, whatever it is. The Bible says if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all wickedness. Someone said this about the securing security of the believer with a picture of Noah. Noah, right, remember Noah? And I'm not talking about Russell Crowe that nonsense movie. <laughs> People in little boats coming, you know, <laughs> these weird creatures. Don't waste your time. Read the Bible. Someone said this. Noah secure in that ark. Noah fell down in the ark. But he never fell out of the ark. My friend secure in Christ, bound in the covenant of love of grace, you will fall down in his ark. But it's the sustaining grace of God that will keep you from falling out of that ark. Judas was never a genuine disciple of Jesus. We don't have to explain why he did this, why he did. his actions evidenced a heart, a heart Maybe it was because of bitterness, disillusionment, who knows. But his heart and actions ultimately evidenced that he was never a follower of Jesus. Sometimes we allow ourselves to nurture bitterness, disappointment, anger. And sometimes we allow the nurturing of those sins to justify our actions to commit sin hello? Well, I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. And next thing we know, we're like what I said last week. We've gone further than we wanted to go. We're paying more than we intended to pay, and we're staying longer than we wanted to stay. The heart, the heart, the heart. What did the Bible say about David? that he was a perfect man of God. And because he was a perfect man of God, God loved him. Is that what it says? This week, uh, one of the books that I listened to, but I bought the hard copy because it was so good, called The Grand Weaver by Ravi Zacharias. I would recommend it but he said something in there and I really just had to go buy the book for this section here. It really spoke to me and I won't tell you the context, but let me just pick it up with what he says and we'll close on this in just a minute. Listen carefully. At the end of your life, one of three things will happen to your heart. It will grow hard, it will be broken, or it will be tender. Nobody escapes. Your heart will become coarse and desensitized, be crushed under the weight of disappointment, or be made tender by that which makes the heart of God tender as well. God's heart is a caring heart. As the writer of the letter of Hebrews reminds us, our infirmities deeply touch God. He said, this, I believe, explains why the Bible refers to King David as a man after God's own heart. It uses this description not because he led a perfect life. Scriptures make that very evident that he did not. But listen to this. The reason he's called a man after God's own heart is because God could still reach him in the midst of his failure. The reason he was called, and I pray that every person in here is called a man or woman after God's own heart, isn't because we don't sin. We never have a bad thought. We never fantasize about things that would embarrass us if they were ever revealed. But when the day is done, When Nathan came into that smug king with murder of Uriah, committed adultery with Bathsheba and organized her husband to be killed in battle and thought he just had it all wrapped up and he's in there doing his thing. And Nathan, the prophet, comes in there. I don't know if he put his finger in his face. I don't know. I've had all sorts. I've tried to. But he said, you're the man. God's got your number, pal. He knows exactly what you did. And in that moment, in that moment, and we have evidence in Psalm 51, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me a clean heart. The broken and contrite heart is what God wants. He's not impressed with all our religious nonsense. A broken and contrite heart that's tender before God. That's what confession of sin does for us as believers. It keeps our heart pliable and tender before God. Let's pray. Let's stand to our feet as we sing about the cross, because that's what it's all about. The cross, the cross, the cross. Not just what Jesus did for me, but what He's continuing to do for me.